Think about this. What can you think of that would be two great needs of everybody? Every person on earth, what would be two great needs that they would face? A lot of answers you might come up with there, but there are two that are addressed in Colossians chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 13 to 23. Um, the two that I'm thinking of are what John addresses in chapter 1 and Paul addresses in John chapter 1 and, and Paul addresses in Colossians chapter 1. The first of those is to know God and the second need is to be right with him, as was said already, salvation. To know God and to be right with him. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. That is a description of Jesus Christ. And the reason it is is because he is the declaration of God. He's the visible expression of God. So he's called the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. So it's, it's talking about God the Son here. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Those verses will come into play as we're looking more in Colossians chapter 1. Then it goes on to say something very interesting about the word. It says in verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God the Son, eternally God, took on a second nature, a human nature, just like us. He had flesh and bones, and he could stub his toe. He got tired, hungry, thirsty. He had feelings like we have feelings. He was a person just like us, tested and tempted in every way like we are, but without sin. Hebrews tells us that's the difference. He was fully God and fully man, just like us. It says, he became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18 goes on to say, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. That's why he was called the Word at the beginning. He is the declaration of God. This chapter also addresses that second need to be right with God. John the Baptist was, his ministry was in full swing, and at that point, some of the disciples were with him, and Jesus was walking toward them. And John said in verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the second great need. Now let's look over here in Colossians, and that was just to kind of get us thinking along that line. Let's uh, start with verse 13, and let's just read down through this section. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He, speaking again now of Christ, God the Son, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he, might have, he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, 
and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. I'm reading from the New King James. Sorry about that. I know most of you had the NIV, but i kind of been in this one for a long time, and so it's been hard to move over to the NIV. I do use it some, but my notes are all in the, in the New King James Version, so you'll have to bear with me on the difference there. But the meaning was pretty close. There weren't too many significant differences there. So <clears throat> we come to that first, uh, the first need, and what we'll try to do as we get on through this is see how is it that Christ meets those needs as it's shown in these verses. Now, it's interesting the way he's done it. We usually speak verse by verse as we go through the passage, and we'll pretty much do that today. But Paul has taken these two themes and woven them down through the passage. So we'll have to kind of go down through it a couple of times to get it all and keep it from being too confusing for us at least for me. So the first one is to know God. <clears throat> and uh, to know God, we would need to know Christ Jesus because he's the demonstration of God. He's the visible demonstration for us, the declaration. So let's see what it says here. In the uh, verse 13, the first verse we looked at, it says that um, he is the son of his love. Well, the his there refers back to verse 12 where it's talking about the Father, giving thanks to the Father. And the Father and the Son are eternally linked together in love. Uh, we have some demonstrations of that love. Not lots is said about it in Scripture, but we know that it's true. Um, but looking at Christ's prayer in John 17, and also when Jesus was baptized, and again on the Mount of Transfiguration, both times um, God spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So there's, there's no question of the love. It's eternal, it's deep, it's perfect. A perfect love that goes beyond anything we can really understand or have ever known, except for his love for us. The son of his love. But also, there's one kind of hidden in the verse, and it, it speaks about Christ's kingdom. And that infers that he's the king of a kingdom, for him to have his kingdom. And... So uh, Christ is the king of his kingdom, and it's opposed here in this verse. It's set opposite to, and it's opposed to the kingdom of darkness. Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom of light, of love, of goodness, everything that's good and righteous. That's what his kingdom is about. And we go down into verse 14, and here we find uh, the word redemption, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Now, for there to be redemption, somebody has to be the redeemer. Well, we don't use those words in everyday language too much anymore. But what it has to do with is buying back. If, you, if something were sold and you wanted to get it back, you'd have to buy it back. We'd be redeeming it. In our case, we, we sold ourselves in Adam. When he sinned, we all sinned. It says so in Romans 5 that when he fell, we all fell with him, and we're all born in sin. don't have to teach babies how to sin. 
They know how to do it all on their own. Even before they know what's right and wrong, they're already able to do it. And so it's in our nature. We're born that way because of Adam's sin. But in Christ, there is a redeemer, the one who bought us back. He's bought us back to God. And this, that's what this title represents. But here in these two verses, he's also our savior. It talks about how he rescues us in verse 13 from the power of darkness. And it talks in verse 14 about the forgiveness of sins. So this one who is the expression of God is our savior. Look in verse 15. It says he's the image of the invisible God. And we talked about that in, in John chapter 1. There, that's how we get to know God. Jesus Christ himself has shown him in visible, physical form. He's the image of the invisible God. Then it says something which is a little more difficult to understand, perhaps. It says he is the firstborn over all creation. Perhaps you've puzzled over that. I, I puzzled over that a little bit. But it, what it really is saying there is that um, he is forever, eternally, the begotten son. He's not the, he wasn't a created being. God the Son was not a created being. As some, some churches teach, well, I don't call them churches, but they're places of, of, uh, around, you know the places, and uh, they teach that he is a created being, that he's not really God, but he's God's Son. Well, this passage is teaching that he is God's Son. He is God. And John chapter 1 is saying that too, because it says that for by him all things were created. He's not a creation. He is the creator. John 1 said the same thing. It was the word who created everything. It says, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is eternally God the Son, eternally begotten as the Son. To the Father. Well, verse 19 also adds that uh, all of the fullness dwells in him, and we'll come back to that verse a little later. Um, in verse 18 it says, he is the head of the body, the church. That's an important uh, thing to know about Christ Jesus. God the Son is the leader, the head of our church. This church right here, all churches, are. he's the head of that. He has the authority over it. He's the leader the one we look to. It says he is the beginning, and then it says he is the firstborn of another kind, the firstborn from the dead. This has great significance for us as believers, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But uh, just for right now, uh, let's just realize that this is referring to the fact that our Savior is risen. He died on the cross for us to bear our punishment and the penalty of our sin. But he's risen, he's victorious. And that's why in verse 13, he's able to translate us from the kingdom of the power of darkness because he's already won the victory. He conquered sin and death and the enemy and the grave when he rose on that third day. And that brings a special meaning to us because in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says uh, that in Christ we're a new creation. Old things have passed away, all things are become new. We're made new all over again and recreated in ourselves because of Christ's resurrection. Then the last one here is in verse uh, 18, in that last phrase, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Now, you have probably the word supremacy. 
that's a word we might use more today, preeminence we don't hear too much, um, but they mean about the same thing, that he would be, have the ultimate authority, the ultimate place, the highest place, the highest throne. So what are some clues we have here that this is true? Well, first, he has the power to deliver us from the power of darkness in verse 13. Verse 16, it says that he is the creator of every throne and dominion and principality and power. And then over in chapter 2, verse uh, 9 and 10, it says, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. So it clearly says that he has that place above all power and authority. And then over in um, chapter 2, verse 15, speaking of his work on the cross, he says, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. These verses and this, this uh, teaching that's here in these verses on the person of Christ and his expression of God to us is really important because of how it ties into the second need that we all have, and that's to be right with God. And there are two aspects of that. Let's talk about the first one, being right with God. Uh, as we go into that discussion, I think it's important that we have the right perspective of how things worked at the cross. What happened there? What direction was that aimed at? We talk about it as forgiveness for our sins and our salvation, but is that really the direction that things were primarily aimed at when Christ died on the cross? There are some definite statements about that in this, this uh, section here. Uh, let's start in verse 14. This one's a little less obvious in the next couple, but I'll go in order here. In verse 14 it says, In whom, speaking of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Well, now we have to ask the question, if we were redeemed, who were we, we, who were we redeemed to? It's not just that we were redeemed and it's sort of like just nebulous about that. It's very definite. God redeemed us to himself. There's a direct, definite direction there that happened at the cross. It's a redemption to God. Well, it's more clear as we look down in, in a couple of other uh, verses here. Uh, let's look at verse 20. For, oh, we'll start at 19. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him, to recon speaking of the Son, by him to reconcile all things to himself. So the reconciliation is to God. And that's the first thing that happens at the cross. And the, the reason that we, we get a little bit off-center there is because we don't stop to think about starting with God first. When, we're doing our, when we think of things, especially spiritual things, but all of our life, we should start with God first. Isn't he supposed to be the center of our life, the most important thing? Isn't Christ supposed to be our Lord? So when we think about salvation... We need to think in God's direction first and then think about ourselves second. Look at the end of that verse, verse 20. It says, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Well, that isn't so much talking about our internal peace right there. That comes with it. That's an added blessing. But it's speaking of peace with God, being right with God, having things settled with God so that there's peace. 
And that, again, is in that direction. Uh, just listen to these verses over in Hebrews chapter 9. You can turn there if you'd like to, but I'm looking at Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. This says it very plainly. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The sacrifice at the cross was not offered to us. It was offered to God in our place, on our behalf. We're involved, definitely. It's for us, but it is an offering to God, Christ Jesus himself offering himself in our place where we deserve to be. <clears throat> Why was that necessary? Well, this, this is a review for most of us, but it was, it was essential that Christ died on the cross. And the reason is because we've all sinned, and the only way to be forgiven of sin is by the shedding of blood. Leviticus and Hebrews both teach us that. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or forgiveness of sins. So it was required. <clears throat> uh, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not one of us has escaped that. And if we look down inside ourselves, we know what's in there. There's, you know, We can put on the outside and kind of cover it all up, but we know what we're like. And we know when we're quiet, if we allow ourselves to be, uh, we know what, what is down there, and it isn't good. And it's wonderful that Christ has paid for that and makes us new inside. <coughs> Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. That means we earned it. And that death it's talking about is not the physical death, but what that's talking about is eternal punishment Eternal separation from God, eternal death. And that's what we earn because we're sinful and we're all that way. But there is good news and God has provided a way. In verse 13, to adds to that, it reminds us in verse 13 that we are or were captured by the power of, of darkness and enslaved in that. So we need the victory, we need the hope that comes from relief of that. And Jesus brings us that alternative. In, the, in these verses, we've looked at these terms that we're reconciled, we're redeemed, forgiven, delivered, and at peace with God. How is that possible? Here is a holy God, and here are sinful us. If that's not, that's not good English, but you know what I'm saying. Here we are, all full of sin. How is it possible that we could be cleansed? It happens because God demonstrated his love toward us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There is none righteous, no, not one, but God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. That's the solution. Let's just picture for a minute a courtroom. <clears throat> now, my work involves um, doing legal research. So I think about courts now and then because it's kind of stuff that I'm involved with. But if you picture the courtroom of heaven, there is no more austere place than that because there is nothing but purity and holiness and righteousness and justice there. And we stand before a holy God. If we could stand, we would. 
And God, in his holiness, looks at us, and the gavel comes down, and the pronouncement is guilty. We're born that way, and there is no hope. And the penalty for that is forever execution, basically, eternal death. But at that moment, excuse me, God's son walks through the door into the courtroom, and he says, just a moment, Father, I'll accept that punishment. And he walks out, and he's executed. Now, <clears throat> when he's executed there, I still need to do something. He died for everyone who will, everyone who will come to him and accept it. So I have to accept it. And then I have to say to the, to the judge, holy God, I have to say, I accept that. And the judge looks back at me and says, I accept it too. Now the gavel comes down and he pronounces me, he pronounces me innocent. And that's in Romans 6, 7. We're acquitted, free, free from what we carried, free of the, the uh, penalty and the punishment of sin. <clears throat> so what cost is there with this? The terrible cost is, is shown all throughout this passage. In verse 14, it says we're redeemed through his blood. And down in uh, a little later here, uh, verse 20, again it says, uh, by him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And in verse 22, in the body of his flesh through death. That's what was required. You and I, we don't think about that so much, but we were the ones that deserved those nails in our hands and the spear in the side, the crown of thorns and the beatings. But we deserved that forever. That's how terrible sin is in God's sight. We kind of like dismiss it and kind of gloss over it. But that's how serious it is to a holy God that we, would, we should suffer like that forever for sinning. But God has done that in Christ Jesus, in our place, if we will accept it. And he says, that is acceptable. I do accept it. You're acquitted if we will believe that and accept it for ourselves. The question then is, <clears throat> uh, will, we, will we choose to do that? He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. It says in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The result of that is shown right down here in, this, in these verses, and this is just amazing. Verse 21, You who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable in his sight. Can you imagine that? I know when I look down on myself, it's almost more than I can think. And yet it's true. God says it right here. Christ's blood cleanses us of all sin. We're forgiven. It's just an amazing thing. The question I have for you is, if you're not sure about that, do you know whether you have that peace, that things are right between you and God? Have you really taken a very definite step where you said, I accept what you did on the cross, Lord Jesus, as in my place, and offered that to God so that he can say, I accept it for you too, you're acquitted. 
you're cleansed. If you haven't taken that step, you really need to. This is the time to do it because you're thinking about it. Don't wait. Let's just bow for a minute. I know it's in the middle of things, but let's just take a minute to um, think about that. <clears throat> if this is something you would like to do, and you're really ready to leave your old master, the power of darkness, and surrender to a new master, the son of, of God's love, then this is, this is a good time to do it. It's a free gift. Romans 6.23 says that. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. All it needs is for you to take the gift. So will you this time, at this moment, just in your heart, you don't have to say anything out loud, don't let anybody, you know, there's nothing you need to do to anybody around you, just between you and God. If you're ready to believe and accept these truths of what Christ has done for you in, in your place, then why don't you just pray these thoughts to the Lord. Ask him to forgive you of your sin. And thank Christ Jesus that he died in your place. And tell him you believe in him and surrender to him. And if, as you do that, know that he is the master that loves you. He gave his life for you. And surrendering to him is surrendering to a faithful and a loving God, and you won't regret it. John uh, Romans 10 says, uh, says this. Uh, sorry, Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes to righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. There is no doubt. God has said it. Well, afterwards, uh, we do have some people who come up in the corner over here and are, are ready to pray with those who feel like they have a need or just want someone to uh, worship the Lord with because of goodness that has happened this past week. So why don't you come up and tell one of them that you took that step. It says you have to confess it with your mouth. And these folks are all happy. So just come on up. They'll be glad to, glad to hear it from you. But that's what it says there. Confess it with your mouth and believe it in your heart. And you will be saved. There's no question about it. God has said it. What he says is true. Well, there's one, one other thing that we can get from this. <clears throat> it might be that as we've been talking about these truths, there's sort of like a nagging little thing going on in your heart there uh, that maybe, maybe not everything really is right. Maybe I don't feel like I'm delivered from the power of darkness. Maybe I'm struggling with different sins and I just can't seem to overcome that. When it says here in uh, verse 20, uh, sorry, that he is the firstborn from the dead in verse 18, that resurrection of Christ, according to Romans 6, is to bring new life into us. Remember, we, we looked at uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we're a new creation. Well, that's supposed to be more than just forgiveness of sins and initial salvation. It's supposed to extend all the way through our life. His death on the cross is more than just an initial thing. It is a victory that happens every day, every moment in our hearts. You say, well, I haven't really felt that. And most of us could probably say that. But it's true. There is more, and, and Christ offers it. 
Let's look at, um, uh, excuse me one second, uh, just remind me, uh, just reminded myself here, uh, Romans 6.14, it says, sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. Sin shall not have dominion over you. It has no right. It no longer has an authority. If you've prayed that prayer at some time, either just now or sometime in the past, sin has no authority over you. The power of darkness doesn't have a right to us. He wants us to think he does, but he has no right. The right and the authority and the power all belongs with Christ. When he came, uh, rose up from the dead, he pronounced that. He had won the victory. It was all over. And now we have to work that out in our lives. It seems difficult because we have an obligation to trust God and to obey him. But everything that God requires of us, he's provided the way for us to do it. And we have, to, we have to know what those provisions are and make use of them. So in just the last couple of minutes here, I just want to talk about a couple of those things. If you're struggling with repeated sin, in particular, like angry outbursts at home, difficult arguments between a husband and wife or parent-child, child-parent, <laughs> whichever way things go, uh, perhaps it's uh, hatred or bitterness or lying, or stealing, or maybe uh, pornography, just can't get away from it, or maybe it's um, some secret sin that nobody else knows about, and you just can't seem to get past that. There is hope. The same risen Lord that won that victory is ready to give you victory over that sin, too. Let's look at Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of the son of his love. You say, well, it's not my experience. What is more real and true, what I feel or what God says? What God says is what's true, and this is the reality. We don't experience it because partly we don't know it or we don't understand it or we don't choose to make it in our practice of our life, but this is the way it is. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Well, what are a couple of things that we can do? The first, uh, sort of the basis of, of these couple of points is found, uh, it's based on uh, Colossians 2.6. As you therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Well, that sounds like a simple verse but there's a lot in that verse. It's really profound. What is it? You know, if you just prayed that prayer a few minutes ago, what was it that made the difference there? It wasn't the words you said. It was the fact that you believed it. You said, I do believe that. I accept that. I trust in what you did, Lord Jesus. That's what made the difference. And that same faith, like we have no problem. Some of us have been believers for a long time. And we have no problem with the idea that we're saved and that we trusted Christ for salvation. It's no different. This verse says it's no different. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. It's the same faith. It doesn't take a different kind or something you've got to work up or grit your teeth. Or It's the same trust. It's childlike faith. It's just believing that what God says is true. Here are some things to do. The first of those is to pray a prayer. And in that prayer, uh, 
I would just encourage you to, to list these elements. Now, I, you know the CPR, right? Well, I had to add a little bit. <laughs> it's C-A-C-P-R, okay? And uh, I had to twist the, the R a little bit, so you have to bear with the R. But it's C-A-C-P-R to help you to remember it. Confess your sins and ask for forgiveness. That's the C. Go ahead and name that sin right out to God. He knows. Go ahead and name it and ask him to cleanse you of that sin. Not just over and over and over again, but to really cleanse you and make you free of it. And then accept what Christ did for you. That's a C-A. Accept that, just like in the, the earlier prayer. Accept it. And you might have to do that over and over again, but just keep doing it. Eventually, you're going to break through. You'll see that. But accept that, and then claim these verses. You might come up with your own, but memorize these verses right here. I've actually done that. If I weren't a chicken, I would have quoted them instead of reading them earlier. <laughs> but these verses are powerful, and they really help us in our, in our lives. And, and John 4, 7, uh, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He has no choice. If we submit ourselves to God if, and then take our stand in prayer and resist the enemy, he has to flee. That verse says he must. John, 1 John 4.4, 4, there's a piece of that verse. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. These things are all what God says, and they are true. Pick some verses like those or, or others that, are, that have that kind of strength and pray those. That's the second C, C-A-C. Then put to death that part of your life, that sinfulness in your life, by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a step some of us don't think about very often. But Romans 8.13 says that's what we're supposed to do. Look that verse up sometime and, and notice that it says it just plain as that. Put to death those things that are, that are sinful in, in, your, in your own heart, as I do in mine, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Then, the, then uh, return to worship. That's, sometimes we forget that part, too, because we get all kind of mired up with everything that's going on. But after taking that definite stand in prayer, confessing the sin, asking for forgiveness, accepting our place in Christ, claiming strong verses, putting to death our sinful nature in Christ, in, by the Holy Spirit, and then returning to worship, there's one other thing I'll add in there. Actually, there are two more. One is to exercise the means of grace. The means of grace. That is a term that's been used to describe how God works his grace into our hearts and lives. We sang earlier, your grace is enough, and it is. It's all that we need, but it has to get worked into our hearts. And we do that with spiritual exercises. Someone has given it the technical name, means of grace. But it's just like doing push-ups or crunches. You have to do it over and over and keep doing it. What are there? There's seven of them. I'll read them to you so I don't forget one. Daily prayer, daily Bible study, faithful church attendance. I'm glad you're all here. Hymns and spiritual songs. That's in Colossians 3.16. God's grace actually works into our heart through those listening to the CDs, singing along, sometimes just breaking out into a song. Worship, that's separate from the, the hymns and spiritual songs because 
the worship itself is our offering of praise to the Lord. It can be with those hymns and songs. Sometimes it's in prayer. Um, there's, there's all different aspects of that. Memorizing scripture, I can tell you that that is very important. And a word from another believer, both giving it and receiving it from another believer, a word of encouragement or admonition right from God's word. You know, we really should be doing that with each other. It's nice that we are pleasant and everything, but we need to look for the chances to, to encourage a brother or sister in Christ, right from God's word, what he's been showing you. And you'll be surprised that may be just the thing that person needs to hear. The last thing, so there's, there's the prayer, exercises. I hope you'll remember those and really practice them. And then the third one is uh, in Romans 13, 14. If you bear with me, I'm going to find that one. I remember it. It says, and make no provision for the flesh. Make a decision right now that there won't be any compromise. If you make that decision and then follow those other steps, God will help you through. He will see you to victory because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Let's pray.